North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's long-awaited wish was realized. North Korea successfully placed its first military surveillance satellite in orbit in its third attempt this week. While speculations are high that it was launched with the help from Russia, South Korea has partially suspended a key inter-Korean military agreement to boost aerial surveillance along the border. How did they fast-track it? For more insights into the launch and its impact, we're now joined by Dr. Park Won-kun, professor of North Korean studies at Iwa Women's University. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Park. Good morning. Good morning to you. So what significance does North Korea's first military spy satellite hold to the reclusive state? Well, I think it's very significant because we all think that North Korea has tried to develop their nuclear capability for the past several decades, especially for the past couple of years. We are seeing the very advanced so-called low-yield um, nuclear missiles to target the South Korea, Japan, and even Guam. So definitely North Korea have uh, this kind of a capability to attack the South Korea. But at the same time, North Korea does not have uh, enough like a surveillance or reconnaissance capability. In order to complete their nuclear capability, they definitely need uh, this kind of uh, so-called eye, as this is the word that Kim Jong-un mentioned. Mm. Kim Jong-un said that they do have a fist, at the, and this time they need to have an eye. So I think uh, this is the first step to have this kind of uh, the surveillance and reconnaissance spy satellite. But this just one is not enough. And North Korea already mentioned that they are going to continue to the launch this mm. satellite, uh, I think uh, at least five or six more. And then they can have a more capability to see not only South Korea, but also uh, some important strategic points like the Guam and the U.S. base and, of course, in Japan, too. There has, of course, been speculation that this quick turnaround and how they fast-tracked the successful launch couldn't have been possible without Russia's help. And in fact, Seoul's National Intelligence Agency said that it believes that the satellite was launched with Russia's assistance, in fact. Uh, a Russian military plane, also presumably carrying a Russian scientist, arrived in Pyongyang the day after the launch, according to reports. And that sort of puts strength in the agency's claims, not to mention pictures showing a suspected uh, Russian scientists in, uh, in the short aftermath of the mm-hmm. launch. Is it almost certain that it was launched with the help from Russia? And what more do you think Russia will provide in return for more ammunition? Well, you just mentioned that the South Korea's spy agency, National Intelligence Agency, but not only NIS, but also South Korea's Ministry of National Defense, even the Minister of Shin, confirmed that the uh, Russia is definitely helped to launch this North Korea satellite. The, uh, so, uh, but in the United States, we are seeing the U.S. response, and they are a bit cautious about the some kind of cooperation between Russia and North Korea about this satellite launch. But I'm pretty clear, I'm pretty confident that definitely North Korea helped the South, I mean, Russia helped the North Korea to launch this satellite. Because you just mentioned in the picture, we are seeing foreigners. Mm-hmm. You see North Korea is such a reclusive society. So very not easy or not common to see this kind of foreigner, especially about this very important moment. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the last Putin and Kim Jong-un's meeting, and Putin himself mentioned that Russia will help North Korea's the uh, so-called development of this uh, space. That's definitely including this satellite. And uh, but overall, it, 
they, I mean, Russia and North Korea didn't have enough time. Just um, after this summit and North Korea August, they failed the, the second launch, and this have a slightly less than two months. So I think, um, of course, uh, Russia helped the North Korea, but it's a very limited way. Mm-hmm. I think uh, they can give some like technical advice to North Korea, but this is also very important. And uh, on top of that, uh, this is the, for the first time the uh, Russia helped the North Korea. So I definitely worry about that. North Korea will continue to help in more positive or more uh, the expanded way. So we have to, you know, very careful and we have to cautious and about this kind of uh, move between these two countries. Mm. So we're very mindful and keeping close tabs on the increased military cooperation between uh, Pyongyang and Moscow. But to mm. what extent, how much help, how much secrets to their tech Russia would aid North Korea still remains to be seen. Uh, let's also talk about the inter-Korean military agreement suspension. South Korea was mm. rather quick to react partially suspending the September 19th inter-Korean military agreement to boost borderline surveillance. It Mm -hmm. seems like, to a certain extent, a justifiable tit for tat, although the ruling and the main opposition don't see completely eye to eye. What are your thoughts on Seoul's reaction? Well, I don't think uh, this is just tit for tat kind of movement, because Mm -hmm. you see September 19th inter-Korean military agreement itself in back to 2018, it's a pretty much give us such a huge advantage to North Korea. So I can say that this agreement is a very asymmetrical agreement to mm-hmm. just give a benefit to North Korea. Of course, not 100%, but overall, I said that it's give a more benefit to North Korea. So South Korea, when the Yoon Seong government inaugurated, and they raised this kind of a very serious problem. Because I think this kind of agreement, the purpose to make agreement is to prevent an intended conflict between these two countries at the same time. Mm-hmm. This is the first step to, to build the so-called um, the confidence between these two countries. So for that purpose, uh, not to limit to surveillance to see each other, rather they have more expanded way to see each other. That's the first step that this kind of a military agreement that we have uh, experienced for the other countries in for past several years, several even decades. But this September 19 agreement is simply prohibit and prevent to see and surveillance the other side. So that's the very kind of fundamental problem about this uh, September 19 agreement. And at the same time, it's already well known that North Korea has breached this accord 17 times in at the end of 2022. And uh, just last year alone, 15 times they are just in a breach this accord. So this is a serious threat to South Korea. That's why South Korea decided to not to fully nullify this agreement, but pinpoint and suspend that important part. But you know that North Korea simply responded to this card of this whole agreement. Hmm. We're also getting uh, worrisome reports after Seoul's suspension, uh, or partial suspension of the military agreement, uh, not to mention the ballistic missile fired on the night of the suspension. There's also an IAEA report saying that North Korea appears to have resumed operation of its key nuclear facility in Yongbyon. How concerned are you and what type of provocation do you expect from the North in protest against this partial suspension? Now, yesterday, North Korea's government already mentioned that very clearly that they are going to resume the all kind of uh, the military activities. So I think uh, many North Korea will do 
at least two things. First, they are going to resume the provocations, uh, kind of provocations in analog, not on limited line, and shelling artillery to the South Korea's NLN. And second one is that uh, North Korea is um, mentioning if I quote the, uh, exactly from their words, they said that deploying more powerful armed forces and new type of military hardware in the region along the MDL, the military demarcation line. So I think uh, there is a high possibility that North Korea will deploy so-called KN-24, the multi-rocket launchers, and the some of the drones. They already showed this military parade about they do have uh, drones. But um, important thing is that this not bring this some kind of, uh, I mean, the suspension of the uh, inter-Korean agreement by South Korea not automatically bring the provocation by the North Korea. Rather, North Korea, they do have uh, their own, like the line, well, a policy direction. They introduced this line in September, uh, December 2019. This is so-called frontal break line. Definitely, this is a hostile policy towards South Korea, United States. And they have continued to this kind of uh, the very aggressive attitude for the past couple of years. Mm. So I think they are going to continue to their policy direction and line. So this weapons development program is not necessarily a, a just a response to South Korea and the U.S. having, for example, joint military drills, or South Korea also plans to put its first spy satellite into orbit November 30th. So it's not just a tit for a tat. Perhaps it's just part of this larger program that North Korea has been developing all this time. But they yes, cert- exactly, because right, the right. last year, alone, North Korea has the highest number of the military launch more than right. 100 times. So for that, you know, you know that we, I mean, South Korea, United States, we have to respond and we have to enhance our deterrence capability of, of, against North Korea. So I think, uh, not to think about North Korea is the one who brought this kind of a uh, very, uh, you know, enhanced readiness by the South Korea and United States. Mm. Uh, how do you assess the current level of North Korea-Russia military cooperation and how would it impact the security landscape in the Indo-Pacific region at large, Dr. Park? Yeah, definitely it's very serious. It's, uh, they're helping each other. Already we are seeing the very clear evidence that North Korea supports any mission to Russia in Ukraine war. At the same time, this uh, satellite launch is going to be another evidence that Russia helped the North Korea. So this is not limited to Korean security, Korean Peninsula security, but this is a more like a global challenging issues and a very serious threat to the world and security. And at the same time, if these two so-called revisionist countries are helping uh, with each other, it's definitely undermined the United Nations Security Council mm-hmm. system itself. You know that Russia is the permanent member of the UN Security Council. At the same time, MPT, Non-Proliferation Treaty, which is uh, started in 1968, because, um, you see, Russia is the, um, and the North Korea has continued to develop their nuclear weapons. Hmm. Then I wonder if this is a good time to regroup and re-strategize amid the rapidly changing dynamics that are inching closer towards a new Cold War era. Calls are also growing that South Korea should reform its North Korea policy. I mean, of course, with the UN administration, there is a different stance towards North Korea at large. But more than that, what strategy is needed at this point in time specifically? I don't agree with that at this point that oh, this is the, not the new Cold War at all. Because okay. you see South Korea, Japan, and uh, um, of course the uh, United States with uh, many the U.S. allies, I mean, including like NATO, NATO countries, and all those countries, even in some, in some sense China too, they are trying to you know, uphold so-called RBO rule, the international 
trade-based order, which is the free trade, rule of law, and the um, non-proliferation of the nuclear weapons, and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I think at this time, only two countries have very bluntly challenged this RBO. That is Russia and North Korea. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely not the uh, new Cold War, rather these two countries challenging this existing the world order. So what I suggest is that so-called like-minded country I just mentioned, the South Korea, United States, Japan, and many liberal democratic countries have to enhance this cooperation to uh, restore, maintain, and strengthen this RBO. That's, I think, a more fundamental way to resolve these ongoing issues. Mm. What about when China comes to play? I mean, not that they would completely side with all the ways of North Korea and Russia, but they have, to a certain extent, backed, for example, Russia's stance in, in mm. the UN Security Council, right? Yeah, but I don't think we have enough time to talk about <laughs> China. But anyway, China is a little bit different. From, you see, at this very moment, um, North Korea, Russia has enhanced the cooperation. China is not, not comfortable with, with uh, all these things. Mm-hmm. And even China is not the, you know, the directly get involved of the Ukraine war. And China the, has not the support any kind of uh, the artillery or the weaponry. Mm-hmm. To, to Russia because it's definitely undermined, I just said, the existing order. So the relationship is delicate between China on one side and North Korea and Russia, even though some people say that these three countries in cooperation, but I think there is uh, some differences between these two, mm. three, among three countries. And we ought to highlight those major differences too. Uh, uh, some experts also point out that North Korea is attempting to bring back Washington's attention that has been mainly focused on Ukraine and, of course, the ongoing Israel-Hamas war. What is your take on this? And, of course, finally, can you remind us what the ultimate goal of North Korea's <laughs> nuclear and missile program is? Yeah, we, I think, all know that North Korea has a very clear goal is that they definitely want to be a de facto nuclear weapon state. I just do the reason that I use the word de facto because no countries in the world that they accept North Korea as a nuclear weapon state officially. Mm-hmm. So that's why de facto nuclear weapon state. And of course, North Korea will come to the negotiation table. I think at least they are waiting for the next U.S. presidential election in November next year. And then they are going to come to the negotiation table to have uh, some the final result, final kind of uh, agreement at, from the uh, with the United States. Definitely, they want to keep their status as a nuclear weapon state, and they are want to they want to talk about arms control, and rather than not definitely, they are not going to talk about denuclearization of North Korea. Hmm. Dr. Park, thank you very much for your insights. We appreciate it. Okay, thank you. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.